0: Have a podcast about energy, the jewels that these national labs are in terms of science and scientific capabilities,
1: big dreams can happen, keeping our nation safe, clean energy Energy is way of the future, it's
2: America's economic engine,
1: it's science
2: for the people,
1: this is Direct Current. And we're back. I'm Matt Dozier.
2: And I'm Allison Lantero. Welcome to season three of Direct Current. Did you miss us?
1: We've got a lot of great stuff coming up this season, and we're kicking it all off with a special interview.
2: That's right. We sat down with Secretary Perry to discuss his first year in office, new energy realism, and even his favorite dog.
1: And be sure to listen to the end of the episode for a big announcement. This is the Season 3 premiere of Direct Current, and we are here with a very special guest, Secretary of Energy Rick Perry.
2: Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: You're
0: welcome, and
1: howdy. (laughs) Howdy. So, Mr. Secretary, you've been on the job for a little over a year now. We were wondering what part of it has surprised you the most
0: well the depth of which this agency affects things going on around the world i think it's the most surprising thing for me think about department of energy may yeah, you think about you know wind solar fossil fuels uh, hydro but it's a lot more than that it's negotiations going on with the north koreans it's uh, the iranian deal it's uh, geopolitics of energy that are affecting the world and you get a real grasp of the breadth of the agency, the scope of all of the different things that it affects.
2: You've called being Secretary of Energy the coolest job you've had. What are some of the cool things you've gotten to do as Secretary?
0: Yeah, I remind people the best job I've ever had was being the governor of the great state of Texas. But the coolness factor of the Department of Energy comes into, generally, the National Lab's. These 17 just absolute jewels that the Department of Energy works with and operates far flung across the uh, United States. And uh, when you see the supercomputing capacity that um, affects everything from our ability to protect information, protect our citizens, protect the health of our citizens, five of the 10 fastest supercomputers in the world belong to the Department of Energy. So those computers, their ability to manage and to analyze massive amounts of data are right on the cusp of all of the really great vexing issues that face us as a society. So it's very important that we uh, stay in that race to have the fastest computer in the world, which, by the way, we don't today. Chinese have the two fastest, then the Swiss and the Japanese, but we're soon to be uh back in that uh, number one spot, and hopefully we'll retain that for uh, years to come.
1: In addition to the cool stuff that you've gotten to do and see uh, as Secretary of Energy, I assume there have been some challenges. I was wondering what some of the biggest or one of the biggest challenges has been uh, during your time here.
0: Yeah. Are we through with cool stuff? Golly, man, I just got started on (laughs) cool stuff.
1: Keep rolling if you want.
0: (laughs) No, seriously, you know, the climate, how we deal with that, and one of the interesting things is obviously hydrogen cars and uh, hydrogen fuel. One of our labs has a just amazingly interesting project they're working on, hypersonic aircraft. And the fuel that they use, hydrogen fuel, being able to move an individual any place in the world in four hours, that is the epitome of the word cool. So the Department of Energy's labs and what they're doing in a vast array of different areas, that's just one on the hydrogen fuel side, and and uh, making our lives better, uh, affecting the climate. I was just reminded of another fascinating project that's going on at Berkeley. One of the scientists there, it's working with diamond dust. Well, we all love diamonds, or most people do, anyway. But the diamond dust is used as a basis for identifying cancer. In this case, breast cancer. So. You don't normally think about the Department of Energy and health, but we're right at the epicenter. Okay. So we've talked about the cool
1: stuff. Yeah. So biggest challenge then, what has been a particularly tough challenge for you to face as Secretary of Energy?
0: Generally, the world doesn't wait around for you. As much as you may find it just fascinating to be working on all these cool projects, Reality stares you in the face. And the reality of the world we live in today is it's a very dangerous world. It's a complex world. And it's a world that relies upon a resilient source of energy. And that means the grid. That is the sector-specific area of the United States that the Department of Energy actually statutorily has responsible for. Make sure that we have a reliable, resilient electrical grid. When you flip on the switch, whatever it may be, whether it's to cool your home, uh, whether it's to turn the lights on, whether it's to keep whatever uh, massive, important piece of machinery, including 90% of the military bases in the United States, that is the Department of Energy's responsibility. Well, why is that a daunting challenge? Well, partly because of the world that we live in today, uh, the natural disasters that may occur, polar vortex that comes into the northeast, a massive heat wave that comes in to the southwestern part of the United States, a hurricane of uh, massive proportion like Superstorm Sandy. All of those can cause great harm to the electrical grid. And then the one that kind of keeps you up in the middle of the night, and that's a threat from a cyber attack. It's a national security issue, from my perspective, to be able to say to the people of the country, to the commander-in-chief, that we've done everything possible to make sure that not only the light's going to come on, we're going to keep our families safe, either by keeping the house warm or keeping the house cool, and very importantly, making sure that our military bases have the power to continue to be the strategic defense for this country.
2: So jumping off there, here at the department, we've been talking a lot about this idea of new energy realism. What does that mean to you?
0: Well, realism, a lot of time, is in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) In this case, um, the new energy realism is that a decade plus ago, the United States was dependent upon a lot of different energy sources that came from other places in the United States. And because of innovation, not regulation, uh, the private sector in particular, but with the help of places like the Department of Energy, uh, America is now the number one oil and gas producing country in the world. We're delivering energy, I think, to 28 different countries now on five different continents. I mean, think about that. You know, 15 years ago, we were dependent upon energy supplies from outside the United States to drive our automobiles to keep our factories going. We had a massive trade deficit with countries that were supplying energy to the United States. So all of that now has been turned on its head. The geopolitics of that's not lost on anyone. The economics of that's not lost on anyone. People who live in those areas where you have these natural resources, the quality of life that they have, the jobs have been created. This new energy realism I think is one of the most dynamic things, most interesting things that is occurring in our country at this particular point in time.
1: I also wanted to talk about this idea of energy dominance has been another theme that we've heard. Can we have both at once the new energy realism and the energy
0: dominance? The term energy dominance is an interesting one. I like to use you know America first, and a lot of times that scares people when they hear that, particularly if they're not Americans. Uh, But what the president means by that is that he wants America's interests to be first when it comes to the decision-making process. He wants us to go to the table to get the best deal that we can for the United States. When people are thinking about uh, doing business around the world, whatever it may be, whether it's buying hardware, software, whether it's agricultural products, whether it's energy, he wants you to think America first. This isn't America alone. This is America in a very competitive sense. And so this idea that America now is a net producer of more oil, more gas than any other country in the world, yeah, we're dominating in that area right now, but we're also deliverers of freedom. We're not just exporting our energy resources. We're exporting freedom, and I think that's a really important thing to share with our friends around the globe is that 15 years ago, a country in Europe might be dependent upon the Russians as their sole source of energy. That's not true today because they have options. One of those options being the United States, delivering LNG into the European area, the message clear that competition is a good thing. Having options is a good thing. The United States there aren't any strings that come attached with that energy.
2: So uh, you came to this job with a wide range of experiences in the energy field, not just oil and gas, but a long history with wind power as well. How have your experiences helped you as you set the priorities for the department?
0: Life's experiences somewhat guide you, uh, or it should. And so as the governor of Texas back in the early 2000s, we had a relatively thinner portfolio of energy sources in Texas. Uh, we were reliant upon a couple, gas and coal. You would basically say we had zero wind energy. And then natural gas went to four or five times what it is today. And at that particular moment, we had one of those uh, epiphanies, if you will, that uh, we needed to have a diverse portfolio that wind energy was one of the things that we could produce. There were some things the government needed to do, help build the lines from out in West Texas where the wind occurs back to where the populations are, and we did. Today, Texas produces more wind than any other state in the nation. As a matter of fact, we produce more wind than all but five countries. So the diversity of, of the Texas portfolio now is, is very broad. And I truly believe that you need a very broad portfolio. You need hydro, you need nuclear, you need coal, you need gas, you need these renewables that we haven't mentioned that are out adding to the grid as well. The growth potential in this country shouldn't be limited because we have limited our forms of of energy. And all of those we're using are helping on the climate side of things as well. I think since 2007, we're 14% less carbon dioxide emissions in this country. Clean coal is making great strides in this country. Carbon capture, I mean, we're doing some really fascinating things. Fact is, we're going to be using fossil fuels way into the foreseeable future. Matter of fact, by 2040, the world still will be 77% powered by fossil fuels. Our goal is to find the clean ways to use them, the cleanest farm of, of of those fuels, because I think it's a moral responsibility of those of us who are from countries of plenty to make sure that those who live in areas of the world that don't have any power at all have access to it. Clean, affordable, accessible.
1: We're about to enter the 2018 hurricane season. Obviously, the 2017 hurricane season was very damaging, very destructive. Can you talk a little bit more? You touched on this earlier, but can you expand on the department's work to protect our electrical grid from natural disasters and that sort of thing? Yeah,
0: we are very involved, obviously, with the uh, reconstruction in Puerto Rico. We learn something new every disaster. That's one of the things as a governor. Uh, we had a number of hurricanes, a number of other natural disasters that occurred in the state of Texas while I was the governor. We learned something new in every one of them. But one of the great lessons I learned is how resourceful the people of this country are, particularly those in the electrical utility side of things, the uh, the sacrificial uh, nature of men and women who come in after a storm to uh, to help those who have lost everything. The resiliency of our grid, again, not just from the potential of a cyber attack, but from a natural disaster and how we rebuild those using newest, best technologies is one of the real challenges that we have. But uh, again, our expertise at national labs and our life's experiences what paint, the I think, a bright future for the country. Who knows what the 2018 hurricane season has for us? You know, we'll pray for the best and uh, prepare for the worst, but we'll be ready.
2: So uh, what is something that most people don't know about you?
0: Man. Oh, yeah, I know what it is, that I played drums with ZZ Top. You did? Yeah, that was what uh, most people don't know. Really? Yeah, it was pretty interesting.
2: When was that?
0: Well, ZZ Top opened up the Compact Center in like the early 80s, I'm going to say. And they called them and asked them to come close it back down as it had been sold. And I knew their manager and he asked me if I wanted to come play with them as they played the last song in the facility. So I told him, yeah, that would be a fun thing. So anyway, Billy Gibbons, Dusty and Frank and got up on the stage and they pushed out an extra riser and I accompanied them on sharp dress man and we tore it up.
1: (laughs) I was going to ask how it went, but it sounds. Yeah, it
0: it went very well. You know, it's kind of like somebody asked me if you've done it again. I went, nope. On a deal like that in front of 17,000 raging people that are wondering what the governor of Texas is doing up on the stage. Um, And we did it. I won't say flawlessly, but we did a very good job of it. We got a big standing O at the end of it and bowed and ran off the stage and vowed not to ever do that again.
2: So do you play drums?
0: That's a term of art. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. I did that day.
2: <laughs> so one thing you and your predecessor, Ernest Moniz, have in common is great hair, What's your secret?
0: Ernie did have some good hair. Um, it's uh, science.
2: Oh, yeah. So, can we expect you to grow it out to rival his look? Uh,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm, I I would not look good.
1: You never know it's Ernie very true. Ernie
0: could wear it. I'm I'm not sure that's uh that's that's me. That's not my look. And what I mean by science is genetics. My bet is his mom and dad had a great head of hair. You gave us a taste of your stage presence
1: there with the uh, ZZ Top story. As I think pretty much everybody knows, you are also on Dancing with the Stars, season 23. Is there anything you learned from the show that proved helpful in your current role?
0: Um, Show business is hard. Uh, I mean, that's the bumper sticker. The one thing I, in all seriousness, that I learned is how much respect I have for the professional dancers. They are great athletes. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. From a uh, physical and mental side, the only thing in my life that I could compare it to was going to pilot training. And the year that I spent in an intensely focused time in 1972-73, becoming a uh, pilot in the United States Air Force. And you think about it, it's time and space, it is thinking way ahead, plus doing it all to, to music. I guess the Comparable would be a, a choreographed aviation ballet, what we normally refer to as aerobatics.
2: So you are an Air Force vet. How has military service impacted your life?
0: I'm very biased about service to the country. And it actually comes in a lot of different ways. You don't just have to wear the uniform. I used to tell young men and women who would come into the governor's office, find the place that you can give back. Maybe the Marine Corps all the way over to the Peace Corps. Just find your place in life to give back. And uh, that's the one great thing that I will always be thankful that I had the opportunity to serve my country, to be a veteran. And you never know how things are going to turn out in life. Don't ever feel like you failed at something just because it may not go the way that you want it to. You know, I intended to be the president of the United States. Didn't work out that way for me. But I got to do something from my perspective that's even cooler. And that's to work at the Department of Energy with a place that is almost 40% populated by veterans. And it's a privilege for me to get to work with them because they are truly men and women who understand the role of service and sacrifice. And they're all about getting the mission accomplished.
1: I know that that is a big priority, helping veterans here at Department of Energy uh, and throughout the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that's going on to help veterans here at the department?
0: Yeah, the um, supercomputing side of uh, what we have access to at our national labs give us a inroad on the medical side and particularly on the mental side of that as well. So the department, we've stood up a program called Artificial Intelligence Big Data Initiative, being able to use those uh, computers to analyze massive amounts of data to come up with the answers to problems uh, that have vexed us for a long time because we just didn't have the computing capacity. Now, a program that we can run uh, with a massive amount of data, say for our, our veterans, data that's kept private, of course. But allow these researchers the ability to do machine learning and uh, then using artificial intelligence to give us answers to post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, uh, suicide prevention in our, not just our veteran community, but uh, all first responders. The concussion issue in some of the professional sports or for that matter in our children's sports, Uh, you know, a mom whose daughter has been concussed four times. We may be able to give her some answers that beforehand were beyond our reach. So these computers, these specialists, this effort in this program called ABBY, I'm holding out great hope of giving Americans some real signals about, here's where your tax dollars get spent. Here's the results of the dollars at the Department of Energy. And uh, hopefully they'll respect that, salute that, and be supportive of it going into the future.
2: So uh, you and your wife, Anita, are dedicated dog lovers. Do you have a favorite among your current cast of characters?
0: Blasphemy. (laughs) (laughs) That you would say that there was a favorite amongst them. Well, whichever one's happiest to see me when I come home wins. And so on any given day, it can be any of them, except for Lucy, and she's 16. So she's a little more restrained in her jumping and barking. But still does it. go one, last, one, one last question. Oh, one more. OK.
1: Looking to the future, what do you hope your legacy will be as Secretary of Energy?
0: You know, I hope that Americans look back at this period of time and they were like, you know, those were people who cared about the future of, of this country. They were open minded about the science. They used the the resources of the agency well, but they answered questions that caused us uh, great concern. That's, that's,
2: I think that would be a pretty good legacy.
0: Yeah,
1: well, uh, Secretary Perry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Yeah, we know you're a pretty busy guy, so oh, th- thanks for making time for to us. be here. All right, God thank speak. you so much. Yes, so long. All right. Hippity yes. hop. You did it.
0: Woo-hoo! All right.
1: Many thanks to Secretary Perry and his staff for fitting us into his busy schedule.
2: Thanks as well to the folks at Transition Music, Bob House, Robbie Myers, and the Energy Department Public Affairs team. Direct Current is produced by Matt Dozier and me, Allison Lantero. Art and design by Court Creer, with support from Paul Lester, Ernie Ambrose, Gigi Frias, and Atik Worich.
1: All right, Allison, I think we've kept them waiting long enough.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. The big announcement we mentioned at the top of the show is that this is my last episode as co-host of Direct Current. I will really miss getting to interview fascinating people and telling lesser known stories about the energy all around us. But I'm not worried because I'm leaving the show in great hands.
1: Yes, all the way from her office cubicle. You know her from Quartz Quarks Corner and our ASMR SMR segment. We're excited to welcome Court Creer as our new co host. Hey guys, I'm excited to be back behind the mic. I know I've got some pretty big shoes to fill, but I will do my best.
2: And with that, I'm out. Thanks for two great seasons. Bye, Allison. Bye,
1: Allison. Okay, Court, want to do the honors?
2: Absolutely. If
1: you have questions about this episode or any other episode, you can email us at directcurrent at hq.doe.gov or tweet at Energy. If you've enjoyed listening to the show, why not share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes? We're a production of the U.S. Department of Energy and published from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks.